Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me.
Okay, this is like April or March when uh, COVID started taking away some of our favorite musicians. I recognize that. I'm Harry Shearer. You recognize that? Maybe. I I sure hope so. Otherwise, who the hell is this talking to me? But now, news of the land of fifteen thousand princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. On the eve of the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, a federal judge in the United States directed the Saudi Arabian government to make as many as 24 current and former officials available for depositions about their possible knowledge of events leading up to the attacks of 9-11. The officials include Prince Bandar, Bandar, the former ambassador to the United States and his longtime chief of staff. The order was immediately hailed by families of the 9-11 victims as a milestone in their long, ongoing effort to prove that Saudi officials were either complicit in the attacks or aware of the kingdom's support for some of the hijackers in the months before they did the hijacking. This is a game changer, said Brent Eagleson, whose father was killed in the attacks on the World Trade Center. He serves as a spokesman for the families. This is the most significant thing we've had to date in this lawsuit happened on the anniversary of 9-11, of course. The effect of the ruling says Yahoo News. Who knew? Yahoo. The effect of the ruling may depend on the willingness of the Saudi government to make its citizens available for testimony, especially since it includes some high-ranking figures who no longer hold official positions and therefore cannot be compelled to testify. Oh, really? Oh, really? Any open defiance of the court ruling by the Saudis or resistance from some of the figures named could further exacerbate the relationship that has been strained by the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, an act the CIA has concluded was likely ordered by the country's de facto ruler, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. He's not King Salman yet, but he's Koho. The question is especially fraught for Bandar, a member of the Saudi royal family, who isn't? Who for years maintained a close relationship with senior U.S. government officials, earning him the nickname Bandar Bush. And whose daughter, Princess Rima Bint Bandar, is the current Saudi ambassador in Washington. Why, he just bequeathed the title to her. Everything's a dynasty. So lawyer for the Saudis didn't resp- respond to a comment request. No evidence has surfaced in the case that establishes Bondar had personal knowledge of all that. 
But during his tenure in Washington, 1983 to 2005, that's longevity, babe. He oversaw a sprawling embassy staff, including some, especially those with responsibilities for Islamic affairs, who have been identified in recently surfaced FBI documents as suspects who may have helped provide support for the hijackers in the United States. Mention of Khashoggi, the Saudi trial, so-called, into the killing, has lacked transparency and fallen short on assigning accountability for the crimes. Aside from that, went off like clockwork. No, those were comments made by the UN Human Rights Office this week. Saudi Arabian court this week. Did you hear this? Jailed eight people for between seven and 20 years for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Four months after his family forgave his killers and enabled death sentences to be set aside under Sharia law. Interesting thing about the uh, trial, the people who were found guilty weren't publicly named. UN spokesman Rupert Colville told a Geneva briefing, I think this is a case where there's not been proper transparency in the justice process. Those responsible should be prosecuted and given sentences commensurate with the crime. You may recall the murder caused a global uproar. In the uh, Bob Woodward book coming out this week, one of the quotes is that uh, Donald Trump was uh, not a, maybe boasting is the wrong, a little strong, but certainly saying that he saved Prince Bondar's, uh, sorry, he saved Prince Mohammed bin Salman's ass by uh, not joining the worldwide uproar over the Khashoggi killing. Khashoggi's fiancé said the eight jailed men were not the only ones responsible for the murder. The Saudi authorities are closing the case without the world knowing the truth of who was responsible for Jamal's murder, said Hatis Senjis. Who planned it? Who ordered it? And where is his body? She asked. In December, the court sentenced five people to death and three to jail saying the killing was not premeditated, but carried out on the, quote, spur of the moment, unquote. The uh, bone saw being there, that was just a happy accident. Some Western governments, as well as the CIA, had said previously they believed Prince Mohammed had ordered the killing. Saudi officials denied he played a role. I guess those officials like to keep their jobs. The prince, a year ago, indicated some personal accountability, it happened under my watch, he said. I blame the watch. In May, the family said forgave his murders, I said, which allows the legal system to set aside the death penalty. A U.S. State Department official said they were closely monitoring Saudi legal processes just for entertainment. And uh, But Alec, uh, sorry, but Agnes... Calamar, the U.N. Special Rapporteur for Extrajudicial Summary or Arbitrary Executions, accused Saudi Arabia of making a, quote, mockery of justice by not punishing more senior officials who, she, she said, were behind the murder. She said on Twitter the trial was not fair or transparent, and the responsibility of Prince MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, has not even been addressed. And Adam Kugel, 
Deputy Director of the Middle East North Africa Division of Human Rights Watch said the conviction of individuals, quote, does not hide the fact that the Saudi legal process has shielded top officials from any and all scrutiny. That's the idea. Land of 15,000 princes are freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. And next on the docket, some whistling through the COVID yard. As we check out news of the Olympic movement, the postponed games, Tokyo Games, will go ahead next year with or without COVID, says the vice president of the IOC. John Coates confirmed to the French news agency Agence France Presse that the Olympics would start on July 23rd next year, calling them the games that conquered COVID. That's according to the BBC. I guess they st- they were able to stifle the laugh as they reported this. The games were going to be their theme, the reconstruction games after the devastation of the tsunami, Coates told AFP, referring to the... Uh, the Fook thing. Now, very much these will be the games that conquered COVID. The light at the end of the tunnel games. In July, the chief executive of the Tokyo 2020 committee, Toshiro Muto, said it was possible the games would be held to a limited audience, but they want to avoid the possibility of having no spectators at all. But they may have limited spectators. He added the games could potentially simplify its opening and closing ceremonies. No, you couldn't simplify those. Why? As well as reduce the number of staff and delegations from each country. More than 11,000 athletes from around 200 countries were scheduled to take part in the games. It's unclear how travel restrictions might impact their participation. Japan's borders are largely closed to foreign visitors, like in the old days, before the Admiral. Muto also said a vaccine was not a prerequisite for the Games, although health experts had cast doubt over whether the Games could be held without a vaccine. But you know those health experts. Yeah. Quote, if a vaccine is ready, that will be a benefit, but we're not saying we can't hold the event without it. It's not a precondition, said the head of the Olympic Committee, who knows from vaccines. So... uh, We know about the tunnel. Now we've heard about the light. Or at least it looks like a light. Now let's get smart. A house is a very, very, very smart house. Now I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking. Amazon continues to push its voice assistant technology into more direct integrations with residential real estate, according to BizNow. This week, the company announced the launch of Alexa for residential service. When it's released, smart home and Internet of Things companies Stratus IoT, IOTUS, and Sentient Property Services have already partnered with Amazon to bring Alexa for residential into homes and apartments. It's a product marketed to property managers and landlords, Tom. Landlords. Alexa for residential is not dependent on user-purchased devices like Amazon's Echo speakers. In an Alexa-integrated apartment, 
Tenants would be able to communicate with Amazon's voice assistant through a unit's built-in IoT devices, or Echoes, provided by, Tom, landlords. Your landlord provides your voice assistant. Landlords and property managers would have access to the data collected by the apartment's Alexa-powered devices. That's according to Amazon in its blog post announcing the whole thing. The reason for that, they say, is in order to clear them when tenants move out. Well, of course you have to have access to the data so you can erase it. Doesn't Alexa for Residential will come with the ability for property managers to add custom skills, opening up the possibility for tenants to make maintenance requests or pay rent by voice. Yeah, those maintenance requests, Alexa will make them much harder to ignore. Units will come with a mode for prospective tenants on walkthroughs to have self-guided tours and ask questions, the answers to which can be customized by a property manager. Amazon also plans to integrate Alexa for Residential with its cloud computing technology to open up its programming to more software developers who can get between you and your landlord. Amazon has signaled its intentions to bring Alexa into every possible home, investing in smart home companies, as well as partnering with with Tom Landlords for exclusive rights to Internet of Things integration. They want to monopolize, dominate, whatever word you like, the whole smart home thing. But if you can't trust your Tom, landlords, whom can you trust? Alexa! Surely, surely lose a love. 
This is LeShaw, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news of Dominion. Global wildlife populations are declining rapidly, according to the 2020 Living Planet Report by the conservation group World Wildlife Fund. Not to be confused with World Wrestling Federation. It reveals that global populations of mammals, birds, amphibians, reptiles, and fish have fallen an average of 68% globally since 1970, declining at a rate faster than previously predicted. I blame the predictors. Let's be clear, this is catastrophic, says Mark Wright at the WWF in Britain. Quoted in New Scientist, Despite ongoing verbal and written commitments by governments around the world and by businesses around the world to seriously address the climate crisis, we are clearly failing, he says. It's a bit dim. It's a bit dark. The report draws on data from the Living Planet Index produced by the Zoological Society of London. It tracked global biodiversity between 1970 and 2016 based on the monitoring of 20,000, more than 20,000 populations of more than 4,000 vertebrate species. The largest drops identified in the report are in the South America continent, Central American, Thing, and the Caribbean. Why, it's all in our hemisphere. Yeah, where the average size of monitored wildlife populations has declined by 94%. More room for us. It also highlights the three-quarters of ice-free earth. The three-quarters of ice-free land on Earth has been significantly changed by human activity. More than 85% of the area of wetlands has been lost globally. Nearly one in three freshwater species around the world are now threatened with extinction. 3,741 
Freshwater populations monitored showed an average decline of 84% since 1970. Yeah, got to take up that salt water. In the UK, gray partridge populations mm-mm, declined by 85% during that time period, probably due to agricultural intensification. Some, hey, here's the good news, some animal populations have increased through conservation efforts. The tiger population of Nepal in the six years leading up to 2014 rose by 64%. Loggerhead turtles... They're the ones you argue with, increased by 154% in a protected area off the coast of South Africa between 1973 and 2009. Things are not written in stone. We can turn them around if we choose to, says Wright of the WWF. Improving biodiversity will require targeted efforts to minimize habitat loss as a result of food production, including restoration of degraded land and a greater shift to plant-based diets, he says. Pandemics are intricately linked to agricultural expansion into pristine wilderness areas. Contact between livestock and wild animals may lead to the transmission of disease into new species. We don't eat pangolins, do we? Dateline LA, if you can see it from here, scientists who have been studying Santa Monica Mountains' dozens of cougars for the past 18 years have made a grave discovery linked to the animal's chances of survival. Initials told us that this week. In March, researchers in the western part of the range found a one-and-a-half-year-old male mountain lion with its tail shaped like the letter L. We wanted a V-shaped tail, didn't we? Oh, no, that was the recovery. The cougar, called P81, also has only one descended testicle. Yes, they're calling him Hitler. No, they're not. This is something we hope to never see, said wildlife biologist Jeff Sikich of the National Park Service. We knew this genetic density was low here, but this is the first time we've actually seen physical evidence of it. Experts have previously connected such physical abnormalities with inbreeding depression in Florida's mountain lions, according to the Park Service. Inbreeding depression occurs when there is a lack of genetic diversity. That becomes from the animals mating with close relatives. You know, like in tennis... No, I couldn't even complete the uh, the name. This doesn't bode well for reproduction or the survival of the population. When both testes or, or one don't descend means they're likely sterile. The rate of kitten survival was also low with someone developing holes in their hearts. It's a country song, but it's reality. In April, California wildlife regulators granted Southern California's mountain lions a temporary endangered species status. They're not currently classified as endangered or threatened. Advocates argued that human development here had prevented the animal's movement, thereby causing genetic isolation and low survival rates. They cited a 2016 paper co-authored by UCLA biologists. It predicted a 99.7 chance of extinction of Santa Monica Mountains cougars within 50 years if they experience inbreeding depression like that seen in Florida. A couple of days after P81 was discovered, footage from the same remote area showed another male mountain lion with a kinked tail. It's possibly the two are related, maybe even siblings. More recently, video showed a third mountain lion with a deformed tail in the eastern Santa Monica Mountains between the 405 and Hollywood freeways. Florida scientists who feared the extinction of local mountain lions imported eight female cougars from Texas. That worked, 
They're now about 200 in the population from a low of 20 to 30. Genetic diversity also greatly increased, and the place just looked nicer. The wildlife branch chief for the Santa Monica Mountains recreation area said local officials could potentially bring mountain lions from elsewhere in the state, but he argued that evidence of inbreeding depression just underscores the urgency of building a wildlife crossing to connect mountain lions across the 101 from those on the other side. It's currently in the final designs phase. If funds are raised as expected, ooh, there's an if, construction could begin next year. And people are starting almost all the wildfires that threaten U.S. homes. That's according to an innovative new analysis combining housing and wildfire data through activities like debris burning, equipment use, and our old friend arson. Humans were responsible for igniting 97% of home-threatening wildfires, according to a team at the University of Colorado Boulder. They reported their research in the journal Fire. Not too obvious. Moreover, one million homes sat within the boundaries of wildfires in the last 24 years. That's five times previous estimates, which didn't consider the damage done and threatened by small fires. Nearly 59 million more homes in the wildland-urban interface lay within a kilometer of fires. That's close, right? We have vastly underestimated the wildfire risk to our homes, said the lead author of the study. We've been living with wildfire risks that we haven't fully understood. Colleagues dug into 1.6 million government spatial records of wildfire ignition between 92 and 2015 and records from a real estate database from Zillow. I guess they talked to the MyZillow guy. Humans caused 97% of wildfires in the wildland urban interface. 85% of all wildfires in very low-density housing areas. 59% of all wildfires in wildlands. Lightning would account for most of the rest there, perhaps. Human-started wildfires are expensive, eating up one-third of all firefighting costs. Overall, about half of fire suppression costs were related to protecting houses in all locations. Most human-caused wildfires were relatively small, but were responsible for most homes threatened. The wildlife-urban interface represented only 10% of U.S. land in 2010, but was the site of 32% of all wildfire ignitions. And between 1992 and 2015, we built 32 million new homes in the interface between the urban and the wildland. Our fire problem is not going away anytime soon, said a co-author of the study. Climate change is creating warmer, drier conditions that make communities more vulnerable to wildfire. She says, we essentially need to build better and burn better. This provides greater justification that prescribed burns where safe can mitigate the risk and threat of future wildfires. This is the theory that you've got to burn the underbrush to keep uh, it from being kindling for huge fires, uh, as opposed to the suppress all fires policy we've pursued for most of the 20th century. And uh, more fireproof homes, she says, in these beautiful but flammable landscapes. Why would we do that when we've got dominion? So, ladies and gentlemen, 
we learned this week through uh, very effective press agentry that Bob Woodward has got a new book coming out called Rage. No, it's not about the flamboyant nightclub in West Hollywood in the 1980s of that name. It's about Donald Trump. I don't think there's a connection. Anyway, it's it's called Rage, and some uh, very juicy tidbits were leaked, possibly for promotional value this week, including an admission that uh, Trump had received a very full briefing on February 7th revealing that the coronavirus was deadlier than the flu and uh, easier to spread uh, at odds with his public statements on the matter. Woodward, of course, was uh, part of a two-man team that participated in the uncovering of the Watergate scandal a couple of generations ago, and he's still at it. And tapes are still integral to the story. We've heard reaction from almost everybody in uh, the days since those uh, excerpts became public. Almost everybody except Woodward's first victim. And fortuitously, we've just been in receipt of a new a new tape, speaking of tapes, of Nixon in heaven. And um, at the last South Yorba Belinda Council meeting, mm-hmm. uh, they voted not to take down your statue, but uh, well, but to plant some trees in front of it. So, yeah, yeah. really, that's a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, in a couple of years, our our people can come back, campaign for killing the trees, I suppose. Well, <laughs> cutting them down. And that killed us. Oh, sure, but I wouldn't want to frame it quite This so. is me talking to you, Alderman. Screw framing. Right. I, I, nobody's going to hear this conversation except you and me, and uh, we're hearing it now, so... Unless... Well, I know we've all learned a big lesson. But Speaking of learning our lesson, mm-hmm. how about our friend in the Oval talking to Woodward on friggin' tape? <laughs> Mind-blowing, like the kids say. Uh, uh. Not sure the kids say that anymore. Well, the kids up here do. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, <laughs> these kids are pretty long in the tooth. But but Woodward, mm-hmm. a, I think he's become even more of a little weasel since he got rid of Bernstein. Now I heard it was an amicable. Oh, you of all people know, Haldeman. Nothing is amicable. Mm-hmm. But hadn't Trump read the history of the damn Watergate baloney? It's possible somebody might have read it to him, but see, this is why you need a person in the White House mm-hmm. who's gone to law school. Oh, sure. Yeah. It trains you to read long, boring pieces of text and to enjoy it. Yeah. He, he probably did see all the president's men. Right. But that would teach him not to talk on tape to that uh, Redford fella. I suppose well, you're right. <laughs> well, of course I'm right, Alderman. Who the hell do you think got you in up here? No, I, I, I... With your record and everything? Yeah. You see any of your friends from Lompoc Prison Farm up here? I haven't, no, but... Mm. Uh, As to the Woodward matter, yeah. I think I'd, I'd put that down to bad staffing. Somebody along the chain should have vetoed the taping. No president, not boy himself, should have done that. That's what I'm saying. No, no, that's right. Yeah. Buck stops there. And starts there. Yep. Nothing up there but Buck. That's right. Yeah.
But then, when you get wind that the tapes are coming oh, out, then, then you get your ass down to the courthouse. Your attorney's ass. Right. Yeah, that's right. You get an injunction slapped on them faster than secretariat in the, uh, it's uh, it's called the home stretch, or is that? No, that, that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I mean. That's, that's White House counsel work. A president has to take care of his own skin. By that, I no, mean... No, of course, of course. This fishbowl, a makeup consultant, would be so detrimental to the image of strength. By that, I mean a person in this position, or no, that position, mm-hmm. can't rely on staff. Too risky. President can't go down to the courthouse himself and file a motion. Of course he can, if he's got a law degree. That's what the damn thing is for. Mm-hmm. Secret Service. President goes to Congress to deliver a speech every year. That's not a problem for them. Mm. It's just another government building. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. But I guess my point is, how does Woodward keep hanging around to be in a position to do this kind of damage? First thing is he gets rid of the Jewish guy. So now he's in with the whole Yale and Harvard crowd. Never forget all of them. And that's who really runs things. Mm. He didn't go to No, of course not. Mm. No, 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 no. No, I mean, of course, I I could have talked to Woodward, pushed our side of the story, pushed it hard, charmed him up a little bit. Well, I could have as well. Of course, but I was the big fish. Mm. You, you know, you were great for the leaking. The good leaking. Of course. But I could have fallen for it, yapped my head off to him. And he would have bought it. Woodward, maybe. Bernstein, though. That would have been the problem. And they're going to keep the drip, drip, drip of highlights from the book releasing to the media for weeks uh, just to maximize. Sure, sure. That's what they do, especially now with the socialized media and so forth. The social media. Well, that's what the Danes and the Swedes call it, sure. Hmm. Yeah, glad we're not in the current president's shoes. Well, I am glad. Hmm. I guess he'd be glad you're not in... Uh, who is it now, Mark Meadows' shoe? That's right. That's right. That's right. But if I were, and if you were, each of us in our appropriate shoes now, I'd want to fight back hard. Of course. Of course. But how the hell are you supposed to fight back against tapes? That was our problem this back is, in... This is different. Mm-hmm. You get somebody to tape conversations with Woodward. Mm. You leak the explosive parts. Mm. Shuts him right up. Assuming there are explosive parts. There are always explosive parts. Okay, okay. But just wargaming this yeah. out a little bit. Yeah. You need somebody who can get to Woodward. Yeah. And have private conversations with him. Yeah. Steer him right to the explosive parts so you're, so you're not wasting all that tape. As with everything else in that town, you need someone with access. That's right. And unless there's a lot of money involved. Yep. Someone with motive. That's right. That's right. You need Bernstein. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least the statue's still up. Yeah.
Ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Who would have thunk it? We're so sorry. 
sooner than predicted, I guess. An emergency alert blasted out a little after 9 a.m. Friday in the town of Tonawanda, New York, that ended up on thousands of Erie County residents' cell phones. It caused momentary panic before people read it and realized it was a reminder to wash your hands and wear a mask. The town's emergency services were testing out the alert system, according to town officials. Somebody made a mistake, a bad mistake, acknowledged town supervisor Joseph Eminger. He apologized for the incident in a series of posts on Twitter throughout the day. He also acknowledged it was an inappropriate day to do it, an inappropriate time to do it. Friday, of course, was the anniversary of 9-11. See, he should have just, just played it down. That's the other thing. In case you missed it, that uh, Donald Trump said to uh, Bob Woodward, he liked to play down the news of the uh, virus, which he'd gotten a fairly serious report on, all the way back at February 7th. Hey, here's today's Facebook Apology of the Week from uh, Facebook-owned Instagram. Instagram has apologized to a black British plus-size model after she said its repeated removal of images showing her covering her breasts with her arms betrayed racial biases in its algorithm. Nyrone Nicholas Williams won the backing of high-profile campaigners for her campaign to have the images of her reinstated. She said the images were still being removed from the platform weeks after she received assurances the issue would be resolved. Instagram apologized, said both its algorithm and human moderators had wrongly identified the images with breast squeezing, which the platform bans because of its association with pornography. It said it would update its policies to ensure that people with different body types were not treated unfairly. Canada Post, that's the uh, post office in Canada, hence the name, is apologizing after a sheet of stamps were printed showing the severed head of a John A. McDonald statue that was recently toppled in Montreal. Sheet of stamps was printed through the Postal Service's picture poster pic, picture postage program, which allows people to order stamps with a personalized photo for a fee. What a good idea that is. The man who ordered the stamps, a federal employee, said he made the order as a protest against colonialism. James Bone originally tweeted out a picture of the stamp sheet, asking people to retweet it in solidarity. He promised to send individual stamps to people for free if you or your ancestors were effed over by McDonald. He tried to place another order for more sheets featuring the statue head, only to receive an email from Canada Post denying the request, saying the picture was not appropriate for use through the program. Canada, Ply, uh, Canada Post also replied to Bones' original tweet, explaining the stamp sheet shouldn't have been processed and apologizing. Canada Post is investigating how the original stamp sheet cleared the approval process and was printed. We apologize and will take measures to ensure our vetting and approval processes are strengthened and closely followed, spokesperson said. No severed heads on our stamps, even if they are statues. Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa privately apologized to an Iowa medical organization for her comments two weeks ago where she implied health care workers were inflating COVID-19 totals and gave credence to pandemic conspiracy theories. She did decline to issue a public apology to further walk back the statements that doctors have worried would lead Iowans to not take the coronavirus seriously. Really? 
now. The senator apologized on the call for what she described as misstatements on her behalf, but stopped short of committing to a public apology, said the Iowa Medical Society in an email to their members. She did commit to further clarification to begin rebuilding patient trust in the provider community. The uh, Iowa Medical Society had put out a statement after Ernst's remarks drew significant media coverage, calling them incredibly disappointing and saying now is not the time to spread mistruths and distrust. During the conversation they had with her, IMS leadership were, they say, able to educate the senator and her response and her staff in response to the questions she posed in her initial interview. Deadline, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. A popular restaurant in the town of New Hope has apologized for displaying a sign inside its eatery. Fred's Breakfast Club uh, Club said it removed a sign that was hung on its wall that joked about dogs of color applying for welfare. Sign described it depicted a dog owner trying to apply for welfare for dogs that were, quote, mixed in color, unemployed, can't speak English, and have no clue who their daddies are, unquote. They expect me to feed them, provide them with housing, medical care, and feel guilty because they're dogs, the sign read. So she looked in her policy book to see what it takes to qualify. My dogs got their first checks Friday. Damn, this is a good country. That's the whole sign. After the image of sign was posted on Facebook, the restaurant that promotes a dog-themed and light-hearted decor, it's called Fred's Breakfast Club, issued a statement apologizing for the sign. The restaurant's theme is the sole lens through which we viewed the content of the application, which has been removed from our wall. According to the statement, our restaurant succeeds solely on the basis of valuable contributions from a diverse team. All of us work hard shoulder to shoulder. We unequivocally reject racism to every person of any color, gender, orientation, and those affected by hate who feel demeaned or unwelcomed by the content of the application. We are deeply sorry. It was never our intention. Please accept our sincerest apology. The NAACP Bucks County branch called it an apology, non-apology response. Now try better, I guess. Deadline Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher this week issued an apology to the Metro Council. He said, these are challenging times for our city. I know that I've made mistakes and I've disappointed some. I'm deeply sorry for that. And most importantly, I am sorry for the tragic death of Breonna Taylor. The mayor, who is in his third and final term, continued to say he and his team are working to address the challenges we face, including COVID, protests, and racial unrest, among others. Another mayor apologizing this week, the mayor of Rochester, New York. The uh, council held a virtual meeting with Mayor Lovely Warren, in which she apologized for not informing the council about the death of Daniel Prude. The uh, meeting's had to be uh, rescheduled due to the announcement of the police chief retiring at the end of this month. I want to take a moment to apologize to city council because you were not fully briefed on this matter and at any point in time before the video came out, Mayor Lovely Warren said this is a... uh, We had this story last week, the story of Daniel Prude and his experience with the Rochester police. Now let's move to North Carolina. No, I don't mean really. Republican Senator Tom Tillis' office was forced to publicly apologize after a constituent released a recording of a conversation she had with a staffer. The staffer had dismissed her concerns about losing her health insurance amid the pandemic. 
Bev Veals, a three-time cancer survivor, called her North Carolina senator's office to express her worries about not being able to afford her health insurance after her husband was furloughed. I wanted answers because the thought of having no health care and possibly getting sick with COVID is extremely frightening, she said. She recorded the conversation she had with the staffer in Tillis's Washington office. Veals asked the staffer, you're saying that if you can't afford it, you don't get to have it, and that includes health care? Reply, yeah, just like if I want to go to the store and buy a new dress shirt. If I can't afford that dress shirt, I don't get to get it, he responded. But health care is something people need, especially if they have cancer, she said. Well, he replied, you got to find a way to get it. Maybe, uh, maybe choke on a three-foot putt, he did not suggest. Spokesman Fertillis apologized on behalf of the staffer, said the staffer had been disciplined. It was completely inappropriate, violates the code of Senator Tillis, the code of conduct that he has for his staff, which is why immediate disciplinary action has been taken. Not a mayor, just a member of a library board of trustees in Fairfax County, Virginia, Philip Rosenthal. At the uh, board's late July meeting, he started his remarks by saying he's not a racist. He's been condemned by 27 civic group groups across Fairfax County in an open letter talking about the library's website, said, Black Lives Documentary, why don't we have some White Lives Documentaries? He also questioned the books on systemic racism being featured. We have this new word, systemic racism. I'm not sure anybody knows what it means, unquote, or even if it's two words. He also commented, oh, well, and he uh, criticized the promotion of books written by Muslims. He took a more conciliatory tone this past week at a Zoom meeting. I used very inappropriate words, and I apologize to you because it was not my intention. He said what he was trying to communicate is that he wanted a library to balance when we put things on our website. Library Board of Trustees member doesn't use the right words. There's your example right there. EA, the games maker, has apologized for putting a full-screen in-game ad in its UFC 4 game after angry fans protested on Reddit. The commercial break, which featured a spot for Amazon's TV show The Boys, was added to the game, $60 game, about a month after its initial release. Oh, there's a surprise. An EA spokesperson wrote, the team had turned on ad placements in the game during the replay moments. And while this type of advertising inventory is not new to the UFC franchise, it has typically been limited to specific main menu tiles or octagon logo placement. Whatever the hell that means. I know. EA says it has disabled the ads. It is abundantly clear from your feedback that integrating ads into the replay and overlay experience is not welcome. We apologize for any disruption to gameplay that players may have experienced. They ran test ads for TV shows. Is that all you have to do to get ads off TV? Wow. Here's a good example. Dateline Mexico City, finally, a VW membership, a dealership in Mexico City apologized this week for a photo hanging in its offices that showed a VW bug at a Nazi rally. The automaker pledged to take unspecified actions in the case, according to the AP. The VW Type 1 sedan, the original bug, was a car developed under Adolf Hitler in the 1930s. The uh, dealership in southern Mexico City displayed a number of historic photos of the bug, including one at a 1938 rally with swastika flags where the car was presented. A Twitter user complained the dealership said Tuesday to taken down the photos and expressed greatest apologize to those who were offended. 
Volkswagen de Mexico wrote on its Twitter account, the images are not in line with our corporate image, nor that of our distributors. We will take actions. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. With a deep bow and a tip of the Le Chaux Chapeau to Ronald Bell, co-founder of Cool and the Gang, and to Toots Ibert, Hibbert, founder of Toots and the Maytals, both of whom left us this week. That will be it for this edition of Le Show. The program returns next week at the same time on these radio stations. God love them. And at the time of your choosing, on your audio device of choice. It's all you, isn't it? And it would be just like it being all about me. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this thing can be found along with the list of music you hear on this program and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Think of that. Okay, stop thinking of that. That's all available at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. Stay safe. Stay safe.